Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers, using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like School districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice? curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone. Welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
a teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, educate, collaborate. Welcome back to another episode of Special Education Advocacy with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow, and I'm so happy to be here. So, today's episode on my reading. You, you probably, if you've been here a second, you know that I kind of always have a staff of things to read. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm going to plan that. I'm going to shuffle in here for a second. But I'll show you, my dad lives right here. And I just, like, I just always have something to read. Just some great five finder clips of things. See an article, I print it off. If somebody talks about something, then I like write it down and then I eventually print it off. So a lot of times I go through my stack and I'm like, no, I don't need to read that anymore. Or like, I know something more updated than that. If somebody mentions the book, I buy it. I have another book on within a high that'll take me like two or three hours to call it. Emotional regulation is post lemon. I, I can't recommend it, but if somebody just recommended it and I was like, I'll buy it. So I have on Amazon and I bought it. I read a lot. And like anybody else, well, like a lot of people, I go through phases where I read. I feel like in order to be a good advocate for my clients and for, you know, their parents and, and the teams, I feel like I need to know a lot about special education and the, the areas of interest that touch it, like executive function. Yeah, curricula and that kind of and so I read a lot one of the sources of my reading that's been really exciting is the state advisory panel for exceptional children so states under federal law has to have these advisory panels Kentucky is called the state state advisory panel for exceptional children I have to say I've asked like a bunch of people about these things I was hoping I think this is my second or third year of the panel, and I was hoping that when I was nominated that the panel was going to be like super awesome knock my socks up we were going to accomplish a lot I think that we do actually accomplish more than what we feel like but I also kind of feel like sometimes we're box checkers you know the Kentucky Department of Education has to present something to stakeholders and we have to just be like yep that's good and we check the box and then they can take whatever action to take so I try to be more vocal Surprise, surprise. So that, you know, that organization or that panel is effective. But one of my favorite things about being on the panel is that our current president or chair or whatever she call it works as sealed in Kentucky where she gets a lot of information. Like she thinks that emails that are sent from the KDE to administrators and that sort of and so she sends stuff with all of these incredible attachments. And I'm like, oh, yes, like, I this would take me forever to, like, tootle around a website to get this kind of information. And she just sends it in an update to us on a monthly basis. And it's incredible. So what happens is the, the Kentucky Department of Ed has an office called the Office of Special Education. 
and early learning, O-S-E-E-L. I think they call themselves O-Seal. And O-Seal sends out something called news you can use. And then we just get it forwarded because now our board chair or whatever, whatever her position is, sends it out to members of the same time. And this month, there was something that I thought, oh, that would be fun to share with the folks on my podcast. So it is about how principles can be more present and involved leaders in the AP process. And I think that it is really, really, really good. So I wanted to share that with you. Before we do that, though, I wanted to let you know that we are pretty far into the planning process for the 2024 Special Education and Advocacy Conference. We have, we are now on our fourth conference. We have had several amazing, exciting conferences in the winter, like the early months of the year. We do a virtual conference. The conference this year in 2024 will continue to be free and there will continue to be a couple of different paid options. One thing that I am fairly certain that we are going to do is we are going to do a parent advocate track and we are going to do a teacher track. And so I thought that I would open up questions on the pod. And so what I would like to do is I would like to ask you a few questions here on the podcast. And then I would like for you to respond either by email or by direct message on social media. So if you want to jot down my email address, you can do that now. It's Ashley at A-S-H-L-E-Y at Ashley Barlow Lake Company, C-O, A-S-H-L-E-Y, B-A-R-L-O-W-C-O dot com. So you can send me an email message or... You can follow us on Instagram, Ashley Barlow Hill, on Instagram, and then send me a message there. Facebook works also. So, okay. So, here are the questions. The first one is, if we were to go on the road for the conference, not in 2024, we don't have time, but in the future, would you be interested? Would you be interested in doing like a day-long conference someplace where you would travel. Maybe we could do like a Friday night event and then an all-day Saturday thing and then you could go home on Sunday. And if we did that, would you want to come here to Cincinnati, which would be pretty affordable, or would you want to go to someplace warm? So that's question number one. Would you want to travel or do you really, 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 really love the virtual option. Either way, I think we would continue to do a virtual component to it. And B, if we did, where would you like to go? Okay. Number two is, do you like the idea of a teacher track and a parent track? And if we do that, what track would you attend? Because I have a feeling that a lot of parents might attend the teacher track. And so, and maybe teachers would attend the parent track, but I think more than likely parents are going to attend the teacher track. I've hosted a couple of conferences for a couple of different organizations, and that's what tends to happen. So I want to make sure that we get the right family. And that's next. Oh, we're on 
a different microphone today. So if I sound different, it's because we're on a different microphone because I see this one does a better job at night pitching background noise and day or at night. And then the last question is what topic, whether you're a teacher, an advocate, or an attorney, or a, or a hearing, or a caregiver, or an MT, or a chef, I don't know. What topics do you think would be helpful this year? What trends are you seeing? What do you need help with in your own family? What can we help you with? Okay. So shoot me an email, shoot me a direct message, somehow get that information to us. It will just really help us target speakers and content and plan for next year and all of that stuff. So exciting announcements coming out about the conference. Uh, and thanks for your Okay. So let's get into today's topic about principles. I want to start this with a little story and then we're just going to kind of get into like what, you know, there's some articles about this and what, what people should do, what principles should do. Okay. So many years ago, I don't even remember how many years ago. It was before the pandemic, probably like 2000-ish. I was asked to be a part of a meeting. Well, Bessie DeVos was the, was the, uh, no, she was the uh, secretary of the Department of Education. Gosh, my brain just shut off. So she was the secretary of the Department of Education. Now, if you follow politics or watch the news, you probably remember that the special education community was opposed to her appointment for many reasons. So this is probably like 2007 because maybe eight, because she was one of the first-ish secretaries, I think, that was appointed. And the special education community was not, like, overall in support of her appointment by President Trump because she was a big fan of vouchers and had done a voucher system in her state of Michigan. And vouchers, we could do another podcast episode, but, like, in short, vouchers are thought to be like super conducive to inclusive education and the special education process let's just say it that way but there's a lot more words to say about that but that's for another episode and she also was not a teacher was not an educator and there were lots and lots and lots of reasons so people were writing letters and they were keeping and there were strikes and there were all these things and she was appointing and then the national down syndrome society did a post that was like, we were pleased to meet with her. Something to that effect. I don't remember what exactly it said. And so then the downtown community kind of got in like a mild to moderate uproar about that. Like, why were we pleased to meet with her? And I think it was just probably, I mean, in retrospect, now that we're several years past that, I think it was probably like a, a, a messaging error. You know, I think that, like, she was about to be confirmed. I don't remember the time exactly. I don't really remember. I wouldn't approve that. But needless to say, people were like, wait a minute. We just spent all this effort trying to not get her appointed. Now she's about to be appointed. And you were pleased to meet with her or whatever the, the language said. And people were. And so then she got confirmed. And then a couple minutes later, like, I don't know, a couple months later, I was asked to join a meeting with her. 
And it was with an organization and I was like, oh, I just really, I was asked to lead the meeting with like eight hours notice and I was supposed to be sleeping like seven up to eight hours. I was going to miss another part of a conference and all of this stuff. And I was like, I just don't know. I just don't. Is there a purpose to the meeting? Is there a focus to the meeting? What, why am I leading it? What am I supposed to say? You know, all of these things. And so I was like, I just, I, I don't know if I, if I went and I came home and I called Fran and I think I woke him up because it was super late. And I was like, Hey, I think I just want to come home. I think that I don't want to go to this meeting. I think I don't want to be at this conference anymore. I think I don't want to be in this out I want to go home. I want to run my law firm that focuses on helping kids. And like, I just think I don't want to do this other kind of like policy advocacy work anymore. And so I went to sleep and I woke up and because he was like, sleep on it. Don't buy a ticket, sleep on it. You know, you're going to be there another two nights. Like, if you have to, just go read a book in a corner of the hotel and like chill out, which is always good advice. So I went to sleep and I woke up and I thought, you know what? Here's the deal. There's no legislation. There's nothing that's like threatening my education of our students right now. Everything was pretty quiet in, in education. And I mean, she was really appointed, right? And so I was like, why not go meet with her and at least tell her about Jack Farlow? Like, I don't have permission because I didn't have any notice. I don't have any permission to share the stories of other students or, you know, clients of mine or anything else. But when people are making decisions, when people are making laws, when people are making policy, when people are leading, they need to think about their constituents. They need to think about the population that's affected by their decisions. Populations, right? And so I've got, here's what I've got to add to that. I've got a really cute, really capable kid who is educated inclusively, who has a a compelling story. So why not go tell Jack's story? Why not go, I've got these pictures that I always take him to Washington, D.C. I was in D.C., by the way. So why not just tell her about Jack? And so I called the people at ASME and I said, I'll see you at nine. And we showed up. Now, it was kind of a cool experience. I'd never been to the Federal Department of Ed. And so that was exciting and all of the things. But something really cool happened in the meeting. So, you know, we told her about Jack. Everybody kind of told her and that she had her that deputy secretary of OSPERS with us. And so, you know, we talked about our kids' experiences and I talked a little bit generally about like trends that I was seeing in my office in Kentucky because I was practicing in those states at that time. And then at one point I said, you know, one trend and it was about inclusive education. And she was like, but Ashton, don't you think that some of that is a people person like don't you think that the law is set up well for inclusion and i do i think the provisions about lre are very powerful and very good i think they're like broad enough that we can interpret them on a case-by-case basis but they are powerful enough that there is a strong preference for inclusive practices at school i just think that especially as it applies to inclusion idea is really well written and i will i will debate that with anybody that went to there are many people that want to debate that but so i was like yeah then do i think that the law is very 
well-written. And she's like, but people interpret it differently. There are people that are, that are uninformed, that are misinformed, that, you know, sometimes don't want to comply, don't want to be inclusive. And she was like, so don't we really need to work on teamwork and basically like the functioning of the IEP team and leadership in schools? And I was like, yeah. And so we have like a 20-minute conversation that six or eight people around this table about that topic. And I left thinking, by George, I spent six weeks trying to advocate against this lady getting appointed. And I still think that she, you know, is going to do the best things for um, special education in our country. But wow, what a cool experience because we just had a 20-minute come to Jesus like a green, cool discussion about something that I'm really passionate about. And so major advocacy lesson, right? Like it can't hurt to ask. You can find common ground, all of these advocacy components, but also like even it's the top. And, you know, again, I don't think this person had a lot of experience and education and all of that stuff, but even from the top down, this idea of people working together, people working on the same team is resonating throughout all layers of special education. And so that leads us to today's topic, which is about how administrators, principals play a vital role in special education and how they can really be leaders in their buildings to to facilitate better communication and collaboration and leadership in IEP teams. So this is from Special Ed Connection, which is something that you have to purchase, but it's a little article that was emailed out. So I'm just going to summarize it for you because it's not available on on the, the internet. So it does reference a couple of different articles one is by Dr. Derek Ihori, I-H-O-R-I, and the other and the other author of that one is Dr. Alexia Malara, M-E-L-A-R-A. And the name of that article is Leadership in Special Education, Fostering Collaboration, Solving Problems, and Being an Agent of Change, Key Principles for School Administrators. Another document that they cite is called Coach Principles to Be More Effective IEP Team Leaders. And the third and final article that they cite is called IEP Goals That Make a Difference, An Administrator's Guide to Improving the Process, Second Edition. So, you know, this idea that administrators need to be leaders on the IEP team is obviously very well-founded, but this is just like a little two-page, one-and-a-half-page article that said, and I think it's really, really helpful. So the first idea is that principals have to be involved because they play a vital role, even if they aren't chairs of their IEP teams, even if they aren't case coordinators or those kinds of things, regardless of how big your school and your district are, principals need to be involved. And I just love this quote, a guy named Tim Gilson, he's an associate professor of educational leadership at the University of Northern Iowa, and he actually was a principal as well. And here's what he said, stay active in the process and have direct input on what's being done. If you sit back and allow others to make decisions, they will, but you and your district are going to be held accountable for decisions that you didn't have an active role in. 
And to me, like this kind of goes back to that five dysfunctions of a teen book that I talk about so often. The author is Patrick Lencioni, if you haven't read it. And that's it. Like we have to have this like productive discord, ideological conflicts, because otherwise stuff's going to happen and, and principles aren't going to have a role in it. And then stuff's going to be happening happen. in their building, which they are leading, and they aren't going to know what's happened. And so it is really important that they are hands-on. The second header of the article says encourage participation. And of course, this is the one that I was like, oh, I'm reading that. Because <laughs> you know how you read the bold headers and then you're like, am I going to read it or am I not? I read that and I was like, that's my language. So this little section of it talks about how IEP teams are oftentimes led by principals, right? We know that the federal regulations require that some representative from the LE is the leader. So you have to have a, a, a leader and oftentimes that is the principal. But principals, what this article says is principals should also encourage participation by the gen ag people, by other people in the meeting. So in other words, the meeting isn't just to be the special educator and the parents that are talking. So I like this sentence in this little paragraph. If general education teachers can't attend IEP meetings, then encourage them to provide their input per the requirements and idea. Far too many IEP meetings are held where gen ed teacher is supposed to be there. Without their voice of general education teachers, the outcomes of the IEP meeting are going to be lacking a crucial component. Yeah, so like trying to get everybody to participate, everybody to attend, obviously, and to try to get that discord and that communication and collaboration going. And then it talks about principals as facilitators. And this is something that I talk about a lot when we talk about that five dysfunction of a team. So we need to support the conversations, but then we also need to give everybody the information that they need in order to participate. So one of the quotes here is that Administrators cannot lose sight of the fact that gen ed teachers' training in special education is really minimal. So, like, do we need to give them more training, more information in order for them to participate? And who's that on? That's on the principal. So, you know, we principals, in essence, need to lead the team, need to get the team the information that they need so that they can participate in this kind of discussion. So here's another little quote that I liked. Principals have to remember that their special education teachers are not administrators. They have to take an active role in their positions to make sure that the communication is getting out there and comes with an administrative voice. And I mean, how often do you hear that where they're like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. I don't know if there's space in that room. I don't know if we're allowed to use this room at this particular time. I don't know. And they look at their principal and you can really tell that the principal is a strong leader by how they respond to that. You can also tell that they're creative because, you know, I like a principal that that will interrupt and be like, well, why don't we do this? Or why don't we, you know, involve this person or, or whatever. And then finally, the article talks about how principals have resources, right? Principals have the, the, the information about maybe educational co-ops and curricula or things at the district office or things at the state because they have more information. And so 
principals need to be the house for those resources, and then they also need to dish them up. So the little quote that I liked here is, this comes from being visible, building relationships with people, and making sure that people know who they can reach out to. And so all of this, I liked this article because it kind of ties back to that teamwork that we talk about when we talk about five dysfunctions of a team. And also my advocacy strategy of going to the person in charge. You know, you have to go to the decision maker. When we were advocating for Jack to be educated in an inclusive classroom in kindergarten, I finally got to the person, two people I think made a big difference in that. One was the person that was going to be our new principal at our elementary school, who was like, I don't know anything about this yet, but let me take a look and see, and I hear what you're saying. And I was like, oh, I think I made them headway, right? 15 minute conversation. But I thought that that worked. And then the other thing was, who's in charge of whether or not there's space in this classroom and the staffing? And at that time, because we were going through a principal change, it was an assistant superintendent. And I went to that person and I was like, is there room in the classroom that I am requesting? And that question then got that person interested in the discussion. And I don't know that that person would have been in our discussion had I not said, is there room? So I thought about all of the decisions that would have to be made. And I thought about who made those. Staffing decisions, for example, those are principal things. That is not your IEP team's decision. So as you've got an aide that's incompatible or a teacher that's incompatible or you need somebody to get hired, the IEP team, the teachers are going to be like, you have to go to the principal for that. So that's what I have to say about leadership and principals being involved in IEP teams. I just love the article. I thought it was worth sharing. I hope it's helpful for you. I will see you next week, same time, same place. Have a great week.